today we're here to celebrate Christmas. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Christmas. Uh, last uh, week, Pastor Steve talked about Christmas. This is our second message to prepare us for Christmas. And so let me begin by this way, because I think sometimes Christmas can be confusing. I think it can be confusing in that there's celebrations going on, but there's different types of celebrations going on on the holiday. For example, there is what we all are very familiar with is the cultural celebration of Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Cultural celebration where we have um, great traditions that we do. We have all kinds of parties, lots of parties, gift giving there. We have decorations. We have lights. We have trees. We have this great cultural celebration of Christmas that hundreds of millions of people actually are a part of there. So there's wonderful music of the cultural celebration there, jingle bells. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white. You know what I'm talking about? And so uh, then we have Christmas movies. What are your Christmas movies out there? What are your Christmas movies? Favorite ones? Come on. Come Home Alone? Elf? Did I hear Elf? Okay, Wonderful Christmas. All right. Charlie Brown? Yep. Okay, any other ones out there? Did I hear Die Hard? <laughs> And then there's the gravitational pull. So, uh, thank you. Okay. So, uh, that was great. So, we have this cultural pull, this gravitational pull of a cultural Christmas. And you can just get sort of swept up in that. And then there's the, the sacred side of Christmas also there. And then, uh, but I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the cultural side of Christmas there. And of course, the, the sacred side of Christmas is that Emmanuel is here, that God is with us, that God has come to visit us. And so we have the sacred side of Christmas then that really meets all of our deepest needs. And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning here. It's a message there about the sacred Christmas, that he shall be called. And so we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. These are two very famous Old Testament passages that end up on Christmas cards all the time here. And so uh, we're going to look at these, and let me give you the context, and then we're going to stand up, we're going to read these together. So what's the context behind these? Well, the context was this. The context is that the Christmas presents, uh, the Christmas message here, this Christmas promise was given hundreds of years, about six to seven hundred years before Jesus was actually ever born. So Isaiah then gave this prophecy, and the context is, is that they were in, the people of God were in absolute ruins. They were in darkness. They were in shambles. Uh, there was uh, the Assyrian powers that had reached the very zenith of their powers, and they were coming to crush them. They were their enemies. They were the bad guys. They had a bad king there named Ahaz, and so uh, one of the most wicked kings ever to reign in any monarchy in history. So they were coming to destroy God's people there, and so they were Moralize. It was a dark time. It was a, a terrible time there. They were in a civil war, and they're just feeling overwhelmed there. And so they're without hope. They're just a hopeless, demoralized people there. So they begin to cry out to God and say, God, would you help us? God, would you save us from this impending doom that is upon us? And Isaiah, the prophet, comes along and says, hey, don't be afraid. I've got you, and I've got good news for you. And so I know that they want to destroy you. I know they want to annihilate you and tear you to pieces here, but it's not always going to be that way. I know it's dark. I know it's gloomy. I know you're demoralizing. You're hopeless here. 
But Isaiah turns to God's people and then he gives them this incredible promise and he says, but there is one coming. There is a light coming. Emmanuel, that God is, is, is now going to be uh, with us, that God would show up. The 2,000 years ago, God showed up in our planet here to rescue us and to save us. And then again, describing the child that would come. Jesus is described by these four different names in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn this. This child is going to be given to you. This, they're, 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 it's free here. And so we simply receive, and it's a gift that we all need to receive, a gift that we all need to be mindful of here. It's God's gift to us. So we're going to unpack this the rest of our time here. We're going to spend unpacking this scripture here. That he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Well, what does that mean, and what does that have to do with us at Christmas time? That he's a wonderful counselor. Do you think perhaps that God knew that we would have struggles and we would have issues or we would have problems and we would have regrets in life and we would actually need counsel, that we would need guidance, that we would need someone, somebody to speak into our life, someone who understands our struggles. So when the Bible says here that he would be a wonderful counselor, it literally means wondrous counsel. It literally means marvelous counsel here. In the original language, the Bible is written in Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew. The original word there is pele, which means supernatural, miraculous. In other words, in other words, the counsel that God can give you, watch, the counsel he can give you, okay, uh, that, that he gives you, has the implications of it can actually be miraculous. In other words, he is our counselor that gives us counsel that can lead to Pele, to wondrous, miraculous results because he is God here. So he just doesn't give you good counsel. He just doesn't give you counsel that helps you to get by here. He gives you counsel that would just blow away any expectations of counsel that you could ever have. It's supernatural counsel here. It's extraordinary wisdom that, that God can give you here. And so this is what he is able to do. Wisdom that exceeds your expectations. So in your notes there, Jesus is the wonderful counselor, has the wisdom you need for the life you're intended to live. Has the wisdom you need. See, there's a life that you could live, but the only way you can live that life is with the guidance, the wisdom, the counsel of an almighty God to live your best life there. And so this is what he's able to do, and this is the announcement that Isaiah gives six, 700 years before the very first Christmas, before Christ was born here. See, only God knows the inner workings of your heart. There's places, watch, that only God can go, that only God knows, and things that only God can do. That's why he's the wonderful counselor. In your notes there, he's a wonderful counselor because he knows you. He knows what you need here. And so it's no mystery to Jesus. There's never been a time ever in history where God found out something about you and said, oh, I, I, I can't believe that. Like that totally caught me off guard. I just, I didn't see it coming. 
You know, that's never happened. So he knows what you need. In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, says that he knows what exactly what you need, even before you ask him. God knows exactly what you need. He's all-knowing there. Not only that, he's a wonderful counselor, not only because he knows you, but he knows your pain. He identifies with your pain. And so sometimes you feel like, no one understands. No one knows. I'm isolated. If anybody really understood, well, he understands. That's why he's a wonderful counselor. You see, you will never experience loneliness, physical pain, uh, rejection, isolation, being misunderstood, uh, injustice, separation. There's nothing you'll ever experience that he has not experienced himself. That allows him then to be a wonderful counselor. He knows you. He identifies with you. The Bible says this, and the, the author of Hebrews says this in the message translation. says, we don't have some out there a priest there that's just out of touch. No, he's an in-touch God. He's in touch with our reality. He's been through the weakness and the testing that we've all experienced yet without sin. So see, he's not an out-of-touch God. He's an in-touch God. He will be this wonderful counselor here. So what does that look like? A wonderful counselor then that can what? That can guide you because all of us, right, we need to be guided. We all bump up against things, crossroads, intersections where we don't know what to do here. So he can guide you. He can guide you in relationships. He can counsel you in your marriage. He can help you in your decision making. He can help you in your relationships. Anybody need help in their relationships? Yeah. Okay, just checking. And so he can help you in how to treat others. He can help you like you're struggling and you're wrestling through forgiveness. Maybe some bitterness or anger, resentment there. He can help you through that so that doesn't begin to own you. He can help you with being compassionate, even your generosity there. He can guide you in your life there. So no matter where you're at in your life, you, the reality is this. You need counsel. We all need counselor. And Jesus, it's promised in in the darkness of that day, there is one coming and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And so we can tap into that. Well, you say, well, how do we, how do we tap into his wonderful counsel? I mean, how do we, we get there? Like, okay, we all need that, but how do we get that? Well, the first thing is the obvious one is that he's written his counsel in the, in the scriptures there. He's written his his counsel in the scriptures and I get it. It's going to be a new year going to be a new year. And uh, people do the, like the one year reading and they start in Genesis. And uh, how many times have you, you've read through Genesis more than any other book in the Bible? And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, crumb, Leviticus. It's like the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth hill by the third priest. You're like, I think I want to be a vegetarian. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm done, I'm done with this. But Really, you, you, can, you can glean the, the wisdom and the mind and the guidance of God through the scriptures there. The other way that we can get guidance is, is listen to the Spirit. Not only do we listen to the Word, but we listen to the Spirit in your notes there. And so uh, Jesus said this uh, in the gospel. He said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to be leaving after three years being with his, his, uh, his inner circle there, the disciples. He said, I'm going to be leaving. Because I'm leaving, I'm not going to leave you alone, though. 
what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to send a, a comforter, a comforter, okay? In other words, a counselor, translated counselor here. And he says, so I've got this plan. I've got your back. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you by sending the counselor that he will guide you into all truth. So in John chapter 14, Jesus said it like this. He said, I'll ask the Father, and he's going to give you an advocate or a counselor there, and he will never leave you. John chapter 14, verse 26, he, he said this here. He said, but when the Father sends the advocate, okay, uh, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christ follower, you get this, the Holy Spirit. It comes to indwell you. He says he's going to teach you everything and going to remind you of, of everything that, that, that I've told you. So this is how you're guided. You're guided by his word. You're, you're, you're guided by his spirit. You're also guided by his wise children. God has children. So uh, if you're a Christ follower, you have other Christ followers around you there that could speak into that have God's spirit within them, that they could speak some wisdom in, into you there. So he guides you by his wise children, the indwelling spirit of God in you, just might have something for me. Or the indwelling spirit of, of God in me might just have something for you. So see, this is how God guides us. And so uh, the, the, the predominant ways that he would do that. So Jesus gave one time a word picture, and he loved to speak in word pictures. And he said this. He said, uh, he said anybody who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. So there's only like two options. You can follow what I say, and that is wise. And so that's door number one. The only other door is door number two. And if you don't follow what I say, that's being a fool. Kind of like just sort of laid it out there pretty plain. And so anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. And so I think then, what is the conclusion? The conclusion is this. As we need to, to know what God is say, saying and then lean into that because that is wise. That's how you want to live your life. Your best life is on the other side of doing what God tells you to do. Your worst life is not doing that. So in your notes there, here's the conclusion. Counsel is most wonderful then when we obey it. Counsel is most wonderful when we follow it. And so that's what we want to do. And so that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you here that we would, and maybe at the beginning of a new year, you're, you're glad 2019 is behind you. Maybe a new year, you're looking at 2020, and maybe this is your year. You say, I'm going to be more intentional. And I'm going to take steps to do what God has said. I'm going to follow the wonderful counselor and what he said. Aren't you glad there's a wonderful counselor? Aren't you glad about that? And so, yeah, yeah. Thank you for the one person that was clapping right there. Just... So then he goes on to say that he's a mighty God. He's a mighty God here. And so that he is, he is unlike anyone who has ever lived here, this, this new child which is going to be born. Unto you, 
a son is given. Unto you a child is going to be born. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So let's talk about what this means because I think we all need to have a mighty God in our life. It literally means this. He is going to be a strong God. It's a, taken from a, another word, another uh, time that's Hebrew. And the Hebrew word speaks of a, of a military might. It has a military, very militant sense about this context here. And isn't that interesting that now you're talking about a baby and you're thinking, uh, now he's talking, he's going to be a mighty God. Like, okay, he's God. And you're thinking like, is he going to be like some superpower or some uh, amazing God here? Well, he is. And so, and the idea here is that he's going to be a God who fights your battles. He's going to be a God, a hero, okay, who has demonstrated his strength on the battlefield. Now we're going somewhere. It's very important here. He is going to be a God who's victorious in battle here, who's mighty in battle. A God who has never lost a battle. A God who is invincible. A God who is, who's undefeated here. And, and this is what this child is going to embody here, a victorious, conquering God who can conquer hell and, and death and sin and the grave. And this is who he's going to be here. He's going to be mighty in what he can do. And so he's a warrior. A warrior is going to, he's going to fight on your behalf. This is the God that is coming here, who defends and who protects. Don't you want to have a God who would fight for you? Huh? Wouldn't you want to have a God who would, that, that's who's coming here. The God literally who can fight your battles here. Literally, he is the champion, the invincible one, the one who always wins here, the warrior who's invincible. And this is what, what, what uh, Isaiah was communicating here, that he provides. Watch. Why is this important? This is why it's important. This is why it's personal for you. Here it is. Here it is. He will provide for you everything that you need to live a life, not of defeat, but of of victory there, because that's the kind of mighty God that he is here. Think Think of what that means in your life as you follow Jesus. And so you can see these four incredible implications that he is a mighty God, that he is a wonderful counselor here. So he's a mighty God in your notes there. Why is he mighty? Well, he's mighty to rescue you. and He's mighty to save you. See, that's what you need. You need somebody that could rescue you. You don't just need like a God that's like a, a great example. So my three boys growing up, they sometimes would fall down and all as they were learning how to walk. And, and sometimes they need to be rescued you know, they're ready to do a face plant. You know, you see, they're ready to do the face plant. And they would need to be rescued. They didn't, they didn't just need a, a, a dad that would be like this, well, just follow my example. No, no, no. They needed, they needed someone that could be there, there, okay, that could, that could rescue them. And so that's what a, what a father does there, this, this heavenly father, his power to rescue you, the power to save you, power over sin. So, I think the biggest surprise is when God shows up in the world and he shows up as a baby. And how does that like reconcile with the Old Testament prophecy here that he would be like this warrior, invincible champion here and like it's a baby. And he shows up and he's, he's vulnerable. He's just so vulnerable there. And this is why. This is why because he showed up as a baby just like us. Emmanuel, that God is with us. 
so that he could be known by us. He's like us, and so we could know him, that he would embrace humanity, so, uh, and he was incredibly vulnerable there. And really, the only way you can know someone is if they're willing to be vulnerable in relationships, they're willing to be open. And so the baby would be with us. He wouldn't be a distant God, a faraway God, a detached God there, but he came, watch, Jesus came, this mighty God, to stand with us so that you would never have to wonder where you stand with God. You would always know that he's with us, and so God comes to understand us, understand us in our suffering, understand us in our loss, understand us when we're oppressed or we feel betrayed. Or, or, or abandoned, whatever it is, he understands that. And so, and ultimately, to love us. A warrior who would come to die for his subjects there, uh, to die on a cross for the penalty and the power of sin in our lives. Aren't you glad for a mighty God then who fights our battles? And so, by the way, there are scriptures here if you want to look at those later. But how wonderful that you have a God who's a warrior who comes to fight your battles. And that is how God is. And so Jesus defeated the champion of all eternity, defeated sin on the cross, so that nothing would ever separate you from your heavenly Father. He's also a mighty God who gives you strength. Anybody in the house need strength? Anybody in the house run out of strength? Come on. See, Jesus knows you. Remember, this is spoken before he was ever born. Six, seven hundred years before he's ever born. He, Jesus knows that we are weak. Jesus knows we have our limitations. He knows, it, he knows our brokenness. He knows we're, we're often powerless here. And so he makes you better at life. He makes your life better here. And here's the reality. Why is this important that he comes to give us his strength? Here's the reality. Is that the speaker this morning, he's way more broken than he would ever want to admit, and he's way more broken than he would ever want you to know. The speaker this morning. But, but also the speaker this, this morning here knows that God's grace is greater than I'll ever understand. His grace is greater. And so that leaves me in a place, that leaves me in a place where I need strength because I realize I can't do this life on my own. I can't live this life on my own. I need his strength there. And so he's a mighty God, lastly here, who fills us with our hearts with hope. He fills your heart with hope. How painful it is. I've been texting an individual multiple times every day for a number of days who is hopeless to be quite honest, it's utterly wearing me out. But it's a family member, so I keep shooting texts back and trying to find some way to give hope and just shoots another hopeless text back. And it's such a, a dark and a desperate and, and terrible place to be. But it's a reality. It's sometimes you feel like you don't have hope. And so every day we experience a broken world. Every day we experience this troubled world. Every day you see death and sadness and brokenness everywhere. And so this mighty God would come that would give us hope and would strengthen us. And so how beautiful is that here? And so the sacred part of Christmas tells us this, that he's a mighty God. That's who he is. He's a wonderful counselor. And then thirdly, says here he's an everlasting father. I love that. He's not some unapproachable, detached, out there, distant father you can't know. No. 
He's everlasting father. Psalm said he's the father of the fatherless. He provides for us. He cares for us. And I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. But number one in your notes here, he's forever. He is the coming king. He's forever here. So in other words, Jesus existed before Christmas. We just saw his existence come to its fullest expression on Christmas. But he existed before that. See, he has no beginning and he has no end there. His birth in Bethlehem was not his beginning. He has no beginning. He is forever. Jesus has always existed. Christ has always existed. He is God, God in the flesh, but he's much more than simply a baby here. Christ has always existed as God. He is eternally then God there who simply entered into our world at Christmas there. And so, and I get it, like our, our world loves uh, that uh, Jesus, the baby in the manger, because a little baby in a manger is quite, quite innocent and quite harmful. It doesn't seem like it would make you do anything with your life. But the Bible puts it this way about his eternity. It says that in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in verse 14 in John, and the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, God with us. And so Jesus there, the Bible is saying, Jesus was in the beginning. He already existed. He was with God, and he was God. And then we finally saw him when he was born. And so imagine this. There's Jesus in the manger, and he's laying in a manger. That's God there, and God created the wood of the tree that he's laying in the manger. He's, he's given birth by Mary, and the Bible says he created all things. He created everything, Mary, all things there. And so he's looking at the stars in the sky. And those are stars which he named, stars which he cast into the sky. See, he has created all things. The everlasting one. So he's the, he's the, the everlasting father there, the everlasting one. And so watch. The infinite one here, the infinite one, took on flesh so he could give us the infinite gift of himself. Watch. The creator now, the creator of all things, enters into the creation that he could go and introduce the creation to the creator. And then you have the living water that stepped into our world and would experience thirst that we might never have to thirst again. And then then you have the healer who enters into humanity here, the healer enters in so that we would be healed of our brokenness and our sin. You have in Christ here the light of the world that steps into our darkness that he might understand our dark days. You have the everlasting father here, everlasting life, subjecting himself to death that we might never have to die again. You see, that's who he is. Jesus is forever, but watch, watch. As great as that is, Jesus is forever, but he is forever fatherly. He is forever fatherly. Now think about that because there are people in here, there are many of us, that you have, you, you have, you have experienced areas of brokenness in your life that, that you've, you've had your whole life because of the brokenness of, of what you experienced with your father. It says here he is forever fatherly. 
oh, this is such good news. This is such good news here that the gift that he is your everlasting father, but he also is fatherly, not just forever. And so, um, and so he came to rescue us. He came to save us. But as a father, he does, uh, he treats us and can re-father us. I heard a story this week about Steve Jobs. You know, you all know Steve Jobs here, the CEO of Apple, unbelievable creative genius here. And so, and so uh, when he had a daughter named Lisa, and Lisa, when she was, um, when she was born, he denied that she was, that she was his kid. And so he made Lisa, uh, I'm sorry, he, yeah, he made uh, the doctors do a DNA test to prove that that was his daughter. And so, because he, did, he, did, he didn't accept it. And so uh, it was his daughter, Lisa was his daughter. So she wrote a book there. The book is called Small Fry. And she talks about her relationship with her father. She talks about the shortcomings of her father. That when Apple went public, uh, he was worth $217 million as a young guy in his 20s. And so uh, he was so generous uh, with the $217 million that he gave Lisa there uh, $500 a month for the mother to take care of her. And so... Um, Steve Jobs then, when she was 17, they had this relationship where she said, I felt like I just didn't exist when I was around him. I didn't feel like I existed. So one day they were in the car, and she always wanted to ask him a question because they did a computer called the Lisa Computer, the Lisa Computer. And so uh, they were in the car, and she's 17, a teenager, and they're driving. They're both looking forward, and she, she just doesn't want to make it sound too dramatic, So just like she was sort of curious. So she says to her dad while they're both looking forward, she says, Dad, You know, the Lisa computer, was that named after me? And he said, no, sorry, kid. And so, sorry, kid, it wasn't named after you. Well, 10 years later, they're on vacation with Bono, uh, the U2 uh, rock star. And so they're having a, uh, they're on a villa. And so Bono there is is face-to-face with Steve Jobs. And there was his daughter, Lisa, right there. And Bono says, hey, Steve, the Lisa computer, did, was, that, was that named after Lisa? And Steve Jobs uh, put his head down, and he paused, and he stares at his plate. And he said, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I named it after Lisa. And here for 10 years, how preposterous. For 10 years, this father lied to his daughter, about a computer that he created and named after her, I wouldn't even tell her it was named after her. You see, and, all, and I say that, that's a dramatic story, but all of us, we have some issues with a father. We're wounded some way. There's father wounds in, in all of us. And so, uh, and God here, when he was going to be when he's going to come, says, he's not going to be like that. He's not like your earthly father. He's a, he's a perfection. Uh, uh, he's not, a, he's not a, re- a representation of your earthly father. He, he is the perfection uh, of a heavenly father. And that's who he is. He will be a, a forever fatherly toward you in this life here. And so when Steve Jobs says, nope, and just was dismissive with her, sorry, kid. And 10 years later, 
She heard the story. When she heard that, she, she kind of, she said, uh, uh, she sort of sat up and she told Bono, that's the first time he's ever said yes. But it just did something for her to know that even though my dad wouldn't tell me that he created that computer and he named it after me. And finally, I know. Well, anyway, the book talks uh, about that. And so, but our everlasting father, he's always present. He never neglects us there. Uh, he is one who is full of compassion and, and full of love toward you there and acknowledges you and is aware of you and is mindful of you. And if he created a computer with your name, he would tell you all about it right away. That's what God is like. He's full of unfailing love. Forever fatherly. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? See, this is Christmas. And so lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace here. And so uh, he came to bring us peace. Imagine in that culture at that day, there was King Ahaz, this wicked king, coming down to annihilate uh, God's people there. And they heard he's a Prince of Peace. And they're thinking to themselves, like maybe you're thinking like, how can we reconcile this here? How's he going to bring us peace? How's he going to deliver on his promise? The reality is that many of us here, you, you don't feel like a lot of peace. Like we live with, a, with measures of chaos. We live with measures of chaos here. And our worlds are, are often not at peace here. And then, and then we're going to leave here today and there's a photo booth there. And you see people taking selfies and, and happy and everything. And, and if you're like, I, I wish I felt that way. I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it here, the Christmas season. And we live in the middle of uncertainty. We live in the middle of bad prognosis. We live in the middle of, of chaos here. And you, and you wonder, well, where, is like, where is like God, where is Jesus delivering like that on his, his promise to be the, the Prince of Peace? You see, and peace has broken our world. And peace is, uh, we, just, we just live in, in just all kinds of measures of brokenness in our lives. And, and, and peace rarely reigns. But God doesn't leave us there. He says that I'm going to send Christ, and he's going to give you peace. And he doesn't give up on us, and he, he pursues us and gives us peace by bringing a Savior. And so here's how he lives up to his name. You experience, you experience the peace of God, which the scriptures say it passes all understanding. You experience that. You experience the peace of God when you experience peace with God. When you experience his peace when Jesus comes into your life, becomes real to you, part of the, the fruit and the expression of that is that you will have peace. And so he came to bring you peace with God. And so that's good news at Christmas time, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Came to bring you peace in the midst of our, our, our chaos. Philippians says this. Look at the screens. Philippians says, You'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. The story of Christmas there in Luke chapter 2 says this, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth with those whom he has pleased. And then finally, finally, uh, the Bible sums it up this way. Watch. It says, Therefore, because we have peace with God, okay, because we've been made right with God, when we're made right with God here, then we have peace with God here and uh, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. This is the Christmas story.